Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. I wonder in this moment in history whether you are aware, like most of us seem to be, about just the question of what's next in your life. Maybe you're hanging on to uh, a combination of excitement about what could be and also uh, the regret of leaving something that you hold very dear behind you. And today I want to talk in this whole series of what's next into this whole idea of what we call liminality. Liminality, it's, it's that in-between space between one reality and the next and it's very much a part of this seasonal conversation. And this whole question of what's next, it's, it's very much a, uh, an individual sort of question as we ask it. And it's new that it is like that in, in, throughout history for all centuries up till about maybe two centuries ago. The primary uh, context for asking what's next was a national one or a tribal one. It was a large group of people trying to assert uh, dominance or uh, prosperity in their own culture. But these days in our individualistic uh, culture that we now live in, what's next becomes an individual question. And so we've got to guard against uh, buying into individualism there and combining that with the God-given call upon all of us to make progress. And thank God it is something that's written into our DNA, the very fabric of who a human being is, has this essence of progress. Of it's In Genesis 1.28, for example, God says, go and multiply. Uh, you're in the garden, but how it is here, go and make out there look like this too. And so we're always looking for how we can improve, how we can progress. But, but to progress means we're stepping out of one reality into a new reality. And that's very much the context that history has found us in right now. And we've seen in, in weeks gone past that God's method for this is essentially seasons. He, he says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity. And we have seen there that it's all about pushing forward in one season, pulling back in the next. And this week, we're going to wrap up the whole idea of these pulling back seasons, because next week, I'm very excited. I want to start talking into how are we about to push forward to change this posture of the church world out of a holding pattern, out of a, a, a restoration and reforming into new productivity, new fulfillment of mission. How do we get our energy and focus it on what our mission is all about? So that comes next week. But seasons come and seasons go, and we need to embrace the fullness of each season as we're in it. Now, the goal of these seasons for us in a personal aspect is Christ-likeness. The reason that God is doing what he does in the season is to make us more like him, but not just like Jesus as he came in first century Palestine. It's the Jesus that Jesus would be if Jesus was me. And so if Jesus was living your life, if he didn't have to go to the cross, but he could live your life, what would he be doing in that life? If he was in your shoes now, what would he be doing? That's discipleship. That's Christ-likeness. We live as Jesus would live in our situation. And so to recap, we saw, and the diagram will be back on the screen now, the different seasons that we come into. And last week, we looked at this combination of the knowing God and the refreshing season and how that now sets us up to what we're talking about today, which is the season of finding freedom. And I'm not going to go into the detail of how we process that season so much because we do talk a lot about that in our church. We have a course we run a couple of times a year called Reform, which really does embed and equip you for that. But I want to talk more today about the dynamics 
of this season, about how to embrace this season, how to fully go into it, because you can really be called into that season and in some ways cut off the areas that bring the deepest benefit to the formation of our soul. See, what we're finding now is that you and I and the rest of humanity, the whole world at the moment, is in this moment of a liminality. It's between seasons. It's trying to progress from one to the next. And we're transitioning into something new. The old is still there, uh, but the new is as well. And in the church world, it's a little bit different to what the rest of the world is going through. In the church world, it's a time, if I can use the word correctly, of evolution, of reformation, in a, in a not as uh, same as Luther's reformation, but definitely of deep consequence where we need to reform some aspects of how we do church. And I say, I use that term because it's not a revolution. This is not a time for the church to experience an upheaval, a cancelling out of everything that we've done before. We don't need that. We need to adjust some things, but not start with a clean slate completely. So some things will stay and some things will change. Globally, economically, politically, it's a little bit different. There's something of a new industrial revolution going on as energy, communications, geopolitics are all shifting considerably. And when we say revolution, it's going to take a 40-year span for that to fully implement. Um, but this generation, as seems to have done for the last uh, two or three centuries, every hundred years or so, goes through a major upheaval like this over about a 40-year span, where the structures of the organisation of economies and industry shift considerably. So we're in the middle of one of those right now. And liminality, this position that we're all in, is saying goodbye to yesterday and who are you to tomorrow? It's, it's saying, I know, I know we're going there, we're going to be fully embedded in that realm soon enough, but what is it and where are we going? So there are lots of question marks around where we're going. And this discomfort was summed up in the scriptures most clearly by the story of the Hebrews that I want to reflect on a little bit today. As they were being called out of one season, it was their season of slavery, 400 plus years in Egypt, and they were called to go into their promised land. And the journey that they had to take required certain steps. This movement, this incited change uh, required certain steps that I want to talk in today. And we can see the sentiment of this discomfort of liminality in what they said in Exodus 16.3, where they expressed the discomfort of the unknown and it compelled them to long for the memory, the distorted memory of the past. Here's what they said. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, talking to Moses, have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You can feel the regret there. You can see the distortedness of uh, their memory because they're looking back at a time of slavery and saying, how good was that? We could uh, eat all that we wanted and so on. I'm sure it wasn't quite like that. But our memories in these liminality times, these seasons of change, look back on the past uh, in a certain way and they look into the future with uncertainty, which breeds a degree of fear. And we can see from even this incredibly positive experience that they were called into, even the most positive change in your life, God-ordained, God-orchestrated, cannot feel quite often very positive at all. It can actually feel more uncomfortable. And this discomfort can incite us to think this can't be God and, and incite us to go back or want to go back long for the way things were. 
I'm in an interesting season myself, even just this week, and it's on a micro scale, admittedly, but I had to make the decision this week to uh, retire from cycling. Um, I've been an avid cyclist for 10 years, and the first five years of that worked out really well for me. Um, I had a, a regular sort of hours in my jobs, which meant that I could get a rhythm of, of uh, cycling time, exercise time. We had lots of things that would um, create excitement about that. We were doing fundraising. We had lots of friends that would meet us down the corner at you know, 5 a.m. in the morning. So there was a lot that kept it going and made it work really well. But since I've become a senior pastor, my hours are so irregular. So many nights are out and so much can't be planned. It's made cycling very difficult for me to sustain. And so over the last five years or so, even though I've tried probably 10, 15 times as if starting again uh, to get back into that rhythm, but the rhythm just keeps getting broken. And I had to make the call ultimately that this just isn't working for this phase of my life. And so the decision's quite easy. I don't regret the decision. It wasn't a hard decision to make. It was obvious. And yet I can look back quite easily and then just remember the great things about cycling. I can remember the early mornings with the fresh air and the sunrise and just having great times with the guys we used to ride with. I look at the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were able to raise through uh, charity rides and so on. Just the great things about uh, all that is with team sport like that. And I can just as easily forget the things that are inconvenient, the freezing cold, dark mornings, the, the drivers abusing you, the, the potholes, the rain, all the stuff uh, like injuries and, and the discomfort of riding that made it so hard. We forget that. In retrospect, we forget those sorts of things. But what I've found is I, for me to, to save me having to try and restart a season that's for my uh, lifestyle come to an end. If I hung on to all the things that were associated with that season, I'm not making room in my life for all the new. And so for me, that required me to really burn a bridge there. I, I sold all my gear just this week. Uh, and uh, I now have a house that's a lot more empty than it was. was. The train has gone, the bikes have gone, all the stuff is gone. But instantly saw that making room by taking one part of my life away has, has created room for a whole series of other things that I'm looking forward to enjoying. You know, sometimes we can't start new things in our life because our heart is still full of the old. And that's a key lesson in liminality. Because liminality is a strange, uh, discomforting time of holding opposites, not even intention. They don't even resist each other. They're just fully embraced at the same time. For example, we're holding certainty in one hand, uncertainty in the other hand. We're certain that we've made the right decision. We know that's what we should have done. And yet we're not quite certain where this is going to lead. And that creates a discomfort, an unease in soul that makes us question our decision. We hold in one hand a sense of loss. We hold in the other hand the reality of gain. We've left one thing behind so we can pick up something new. And Jesus understood this in his conversations. He said, if you want to gain your life, uh, you do it by losing that old life. And so this liminality experience holds both at the same time. We can have a sense of contentment that I've done the right thing, but also sadness at what we've lost. We can be secure that the decision is right, but we're very aware that there's a vacuum of what's been left behind. We can hold in one hand grief at what's been lost and in the other hand uh, gratitude of what's coming or what we now have. We, we mourn the end and yet be thankful completely for where we're going. We can hold in one hand curiosity and yet the other hand fear. And so I'm keen to discover new things and yet just the transition into that brings with it anxiety and fear. I can hold relief in one hand that a burden's been gone and anxiety 
of what's coming next because I'm not quite certain whether I or God in me is going to be enough to get through the new path. And so into this whole idea of liminality, the discomfort of change, even positive change, God speaks again with that verse that we've been looking at in the last couple of weeks from Jeremiah 6, 16. It says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at those crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. I just love the sentiment of this passage. He just says, hey, just be at peace, be at rest. The ancient paths have always been there. They're still there. They always will be there. One of those ancient paths, or at least a step on that, is the whole concept we see quite regularly through Scripture, given different names, of a cutting off, a bridge blown up, a baptism, a Red Sea. It's a moment where we take a step into something new, but that step requires us to not look back because there is no way back for us anymore. And it's a cutting off of the old. And you can see it with the Hebrews that we were just talking about then, and we will again, where they had a Red Sea moment where they had to go out of Egypt through the Red Sea, symbolizing baptism, and be buried from that old life and then rise again into the new life on the other side. And this whole concept of cutting off or baptism, it incites and initiates a movement. There's nothing like having your your, uh, rear exit cut off to incite you to take a a journey forward. And uh, we, we know that we need this sort of thing sometimes to say, I just need to commit myself to the journey God's got me on, not spend my heart and my soul and my energy and my groaning on what I feel like has been left behind. In the church world, we have an ordinance, uh, a thing that Jesus has commanded us to do, to be baptized, to to go through the ceremony, a public ceremony, where we really say, I'm cutting myself off from that old life. And we're not saying I've become perfect all of a sudden. It's making a declaration. It's saying to the world, I've made my call. I'm turning my back on the old life and all the temptations and the commitment to sin that goes with that. And I'm turning myself toward and leaning into this life with Jesus. One theologian likened baptism to an engagement ring. It's a public uh, exhibition of a commitment made. It's saying that selfish, uh, self-oriented life that I had has now gone. Now I'm committed. Now I'm betrothed to my new bridegroom, which is Jesus. It's it's making it known in public, this is where I'm heading. And so uh, baptism, is a. that's why it's so uh, often in early discipleship material, as it says, the first thing we should do to let the people around us know, to let the world know of this new commitment that I've made, is to say, I'm not perfect yet, but I'm committed to going this track. That old way of living and commitment is gone and something new has come. And baptism in itself, it's such a great ceremony, not just for the world, but for us, because it incites movement forward. It's a cutting off of our way and a cutting off of our ability to return in so many ways. And it ushers in permission and almost uh, momentum into a season of finding new freedom. But it presents us with a choice and these cutting off of the past, making the big call to say, I'm not doing this anymore and and cutting off a stage of our life. It presents a choice to either reform ourselves, to find freedom in a new way, or to try and revert back. But that's the power of baptism. It cuts off that path. But we can still try. And uh, the the humanness in all of us will want to do that at times because I'm more addicted to the comfort of the past, even if it was unhealthy than I am uh, to move forward into what I don't know. Paul talked about this liminality as a stage of discipleship. He used three terms for the human soul. He said there's a natural person, there is 
the uh, carnal believer who's made a step of faith but still living from the old nature. And then there's the spiritual person, what he called in Greek, the pneumatikos. And this liminality really does describe a lot the idea of the carnal believer. Well-intentioned, loves Jesus, uh, might be involved in church life, but essentially still in transition from being living uh, in obligation to the old nature and living in accordance with the new. And so if we just revert back then to a moment um, that Paul uses, harking back to the Exodus where the Hebrews came out of Egypt through the Red Sea, he says, as New, New Testament believers, just take a moment to consider this baptism that they went through. Because the baptism, the cutting off, it means there's no way back to the old and our direction can only be in the new. But there's no promise that that which has been uh, given to us as a promised land, there's no promise that we're going to get there. It's just saying the promise is that you can get there. It's available for you. You can go that way. But if we determine not to partner through this movement, we can find ourselves, as they did, going around the desert for 40 years. And Paul says, you've got to understand they were all baptized, but not all of them went into the promised land. And it's possible for us too in this movement time as we go from one season to another to initiate the movement, to have our retreat cut off and yet not fully embrace the season. So let's look at what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 5 to 11. He says, They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then he goes on, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with, with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit to sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, for us people now, New Testament believers, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Wow, what a heavy passage. What an incredible warning. Yet from a guy who knows all about grace, he's saying we need to grab hold of this process and not do what these guys did because what we see there in Scripture was a warning to us to us in the New Testament context. He talked about idolatry, sexual immorality, testing Christ, grumbling. And as I reflected on this scripture just this week, I thought, and because I, I haven't really given it much thought for such a long time, but seeing them laid out like that, th those four elements, I thought, wow, more than I have for so long have I seen these four elements present in modern day uh, Christian world, the temptation to fall into these things again. It's almost like we've been asleep and our eyes have been veiled and we haven't seen these things. There's idolatry, which we think was just pagan worship and such, but idolatry is essentially bowing down to any other little g God in place of the call of Christ in our life. It's like when we, we sense him calling us uh, in obedience to go on mission or to sacrifice and to give or contribute, we say, I must confer first with my idol. And for us, it's often the idol of comfort. Is this going to cost me? Or it might be materialism. Well, I have to give something away. Some people these days even put family now as an idol. They say, oh, I can't go to church because I have a family event that's going to happen every Sunday. And so in some form, even this one great thing that God's given us becomes turned into some form of an idol as we, we put that before our primary relationship with his Christ. 
He talks then about sexual immorality. He says, don't do that. After the path has been cut off for you, don't allow yourself to indulge in sexual immorality. And that's because for us now, our bodies are the temple of God. Our bodies, he says, no longer belong to us. They, they belong to God and sins against the body are sins against the very temple of Christ. He says, this is the, the value of this has now gone even higher than it used to be. Don't allow yourself to be drawn back into this. He says, don't test Christ. And as a pastor, I do hear this uh, testing of Christ happen so often. And we don't realize that's what it is. Because what's happening is we're making assumptions on God that he will do for us what he's never promised to do. That's the, the definition of what tempting Christ is. Satan came to Jesus, remember, and he'll say, jump off this temple and, uh, and the angels will save you. And, and Jesus replied, don't put God to the test. What's he saying there? He says, don't make an assumption on God that he's going to do something that he hasn't promised to do. That's testing God. And, they, and the Israelites were testing Christ. And I hear this all the time in just in pastoral ministry. God let me down. He didn't come through for me. I had faith that he would do this and this. And the question must come, if you've had faith, did God tell you he was going to do that? Has scripture said that he was going to do that? What's your faith based on? Well, it's based on the assumption that God is good and that's what he should do. He's a strong one and only he can do that. But he didn't come through and I'm disappointed. And why hasn't he done what I expect him to do? It's because you're testing God. And if he's told you he's going to do that, then you can take it to the bank. We place our faith in who God is and what he's told us that he's going to do. Testing Christ is a huge thing in the modern church. And lastly, grumbling. Finding uh, what we don't like instead of being thankful for all that we do. The grumbling Christian, oh, why hasn't God done this? Why can't the church do that? Why can't they just get their act together? It's grumbling. They did the same thing back then. Moses was the dartboard for all of that. And so Paul is saying, you can't commit yourself to these things. Idolatry, sexual immorality, testing Christ, grumbling. You can't invest your life in that and expect that you're going to transition well into the season that he's called you to be in. You'll end up, as they were, just going round and round in circle and ultimately lacking purpose, lacking hope and living in disappointment. And there's so much more for us than that. So I want to lead into a time of reflection as we, we listen to a song and just begin to talk to God and have him talk to us about this sort of thing. It's just so important, this whole concept of personal baptism, a cutting off. And I encourage those who haven't been baptised, please pray into that. Because I think you'll struggle to find a reason not to be baptized. And we'd love to uh, be part of that with you in church and do a whole string of baptisms there. But maybe it's not physical baptism that's a problem. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you haven't quite been able to cut off something else from the past. There might be a toxic relationship that you're just being hanging on to uh, out of some sense of loyalty or obligation. But that relationship is stopping you from embracing all the freshness and newness that God has for you. Maybe it's a source of addiction that needs to be cut off. And we need to make our way back to that place a lot more difficult. We need a baptism. We need to cut it off in some form. Think of it like a bridge. And all the bridges that God makes for us are designed to be used once and then blown up. So there is no way back. Is there a bridge in your life that you need to blow up? It sounds like quite a radical concept. But as we're reflecting through this song, maybe close your eyes wherever you are. It might be in house church or on your own with your family or so. But invest in yourself a moment and say, is there something in my life I need to be cutting off? I need to blow the bridge up and, and forbid myself easy permission from going back there again. And so let's do that now 
as we consider that through this song. Father, I just pray now you'd speak to all of us as we worship and pray and present ourselves in humility. Just you. 
surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again, and I run to the Father, fall into grace, done with the hiding, reason to wait, my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the The vacuum of our past needs to be filled. It's one thing to cut off and blow up a bridge and do all those things, which is a, a great form of the early point of repentance. But that which is left behind leaves space for something else. And if we don't find that something else, we'll revert naturally to try and refill it with something from the past. And as we go through this reforming season or talk through that, we need to understand that that reform season is leading us into a season of added purpose. We're going from the pulling back to the pushing forward again. And we need to allow this finding of freedom, this reforming of our soul to really comprehensively do its job. Because having purpose without having freedom means that purpose becomes tainted. It becomes like a shadow mission. It will go just a little bit off track each time because the, the motivations behind that aren't completely pure in that sense. There'll be a bit of us involved you'll find that the capacity to fulfill and to function strongly in life and, and pull off great things, if that uh, capacity has no character, then what we do is temporary. And you'll find ultimately our life and our ministry and, our, and what we're doing, even for God, will begin to implode at some level. So to move viably into fruitful purpose, we need to have a few things in place. So I'll just give you three, and being a preacher, they'll all start with R, uh, and it'll be on your notes that you can download. The first one we've talked into a little bit is repentance. Repentance. And repentance is more than just saying sorry. Re repentance is I'm walking away from that way of life, I'm moving into something else. It's not just trying to change our actions, but it's also our thinking and our logic. It's a whole of life deal, repentance. And so in repentance, it's essentially changing the way we think. That's the primary definition of that word. And so we can ask ourselves some questions for repentance to really take its path in our life. Rather than just saying sorry, ask some questions like, why am I compelled to that old way? Father, what is it? Why do I keep feeling drawn? What's the problem here, Lord? You might ask, what's the payoff? Why do I keep wanting to do that? There must be a reward. Why is that reward so significant to me? Maybe it's the easing of pain. Maybe it's the finding of comfort. Whatever it is, what's the payoff in this for me? What's a better way to think? Father, am I thinking incorrectly? Is there a lie that I'm believing? What's the truth? All these questions I'm going to put in the download notes for the group element that comes after this service so you can uh, have a look at them and, and talk about that more deeply together. So that's repentance. The next stage of that is reliance. We have to go from repentance to belief, to faith in God. And so we can ask legitimately, what is it that I really need from God right now that God has promised to give? What has God promised to give me? And what of that do I really need to apply to my life? We've seen that testing God is assuming that he'll give to me that which he hasn't already promised. But we can have faith in what he has promised and what his spirit does give us. Things like um, strength and peace and wisdom and counsel and guidance. He promises to give us all those things. 
And if we can rely and rest on him, if we can stop our grumbling long enough, we'll find that in that posture of peace, those things come. And when those needs are fully met, then true joy, true shalom peace with God can be part of our life. And so this becomes a form of reliance. And it's very different from just screaming at God and saying, come and do what I need you to do right now. It's saying, Father, I rely on you to give me everything that I need because you promised to do it and I can have faith in that and faith in you. So we go from repentance, reliance, and there's one more element that I think is crucial, uh, and that is relationships. You won't be able to change on your own. You need a framework of people around you, God's people, because we're not created to live as individuals. We can't give everything that we need in our life just by ourselves. God gives us people. God's people are God's plan A for demonstrating and showing and complementing uh, their strengths with ours and compensating for our weaknesses with their strengths. So you need to have people around you. You need to have people who will feed new grace into your life. And I mean, we're a new church. And so we were still, as we went into this COVID season, we were still in a position where relationships largely hadn't formed yet. And so we need to be very intentional and very consistent now about reforming a grid of relationships in our life. So if you're new to our church, if you're not in a small group, for example, this would be a great time to do that. As we're now entering a phase where we're going to start gathering again, why not consider setting aside a part of your life, a valuable part of your life, a couple of hours each week to get together with some people, form some friendships so they can pray for you, they can have your back. And you can do that by going to our website. We have links there to uh, how you can join small groups and that'll, the link for that will be on screen now. And so I really do recommend this needs to be a normal part of Christian life. Turning up on Sunday, as fantastic as it is, as needed as it is, it is not enough. You need community, real community with people who know you. And this accountability that we get from these relationships, it's not accounting of what you get wrong. You don't do it so they can say, oh, you got it wrong there. The accountability is a giving of grace. The strength that they have, the encouragement, the example, all the things they give to you is a form of grace that we need. So there's repentance, reliance on God, and relationships. And these create a framework for us to find freedom, the freedom that we all need. You know, knowing God, the, the season that we talked about last week, it's great. And knowing God gets you into heaven, but finding freedom gets heaven into you. So as we come into communion now, we realize that we're remembering Jesus who made this whole journey that we enjoy, this, this blessing that we have of being able to navigate and understand these seasons of life. His death on the cross made that possible by opening up again this relationship with God. And when he came to the world, it was a world that had no concept of physical and spiritual freedom. It had never been experienced before. And it was a world where there was little possibility of any real liberty or life-giving religion in that sense. And so in Galatians 5.1, Paul says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You see, our progress, our technology, our comfort, all these incredible and yet rare blessings that humanity for so many centuries never enjoyed. We're in this incredible moment in history where we've known uh, comfort and we've known technology and all the benefits that have come from that. It's been such a rare moment in the history of humanity in that sense. And yet that blessing that we now take for granted can choke us again. It can, be, it can 
cause us to become enslaved again to things like comfort and addictions and envy and all those things that we seem to fight so hard against internally. And so with communion, we're remembering grace. We're remembering the opportunity that God gave us to enter into that which really matters. And don't let the blessings that have rolled from that over the centuries, the very blessings that God's given us, rob us of the thing that matters most, the simplicity of sins forgiven, of God who came, his body broken and his blood shed to pay the price for what we could never do on our own. So let's join together in communion now and, um, and then I'll pray. Let's eat the bread and the juice. Father, we thank you for the simplicity of the cross, this anchor point in our lives that reminds us of all that really matters. Lord, nothing mattered more to you than humanity and their ability to reconnect with you and then begin to live in the freedom, the abundant life that you promised. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that your body took uh, the price for our sin. Your, Your blood was shed so that we could have relationship with you. Father, we thank you. We remember you today in Jesus' name. I invite you now to partake in the third part of the message, which is available online, uh, and you can download the uh, application notes for that. We're going to dig deeper now into how you really take hold of um, the reliance, the uh, repentance, and the relationship that allows this new season of reformation. Bless you now, and we'll see you again next week.